Eight of Grace Harlowe's Second Year at Overton College by Jessie Graham Flower. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Eight: The Invitation. The next morning, Grace made a startling discovery. It was directly after breakfast that she made it. Having fifteen minutes to spare before going to her first recitation, she decided to reread her theme. What one wrote always read differently after one had slept over it. What seemed clever at night might be very commonplace when read in the cold light of the morning. Grace reached for the book in which she had placed her theme. It was not there. Going down on her knees, she looked first under the table, then under the chiffonier, then turned over the books on the table, then, darting to the closet, searched the pockets of her long coat. "'Where can it be?' she cried despairingly. I'm sure I had it when I came into the hall last night. I couldn't have lost it on my way across the campus. I'll run down and ask Anne. Perhaps she picked it up and put it away for me. Grace hurried downstairs as fast as her feet would carry her. To her low inquiry in Anne's ear she received a disappointing answer. Anne, who was just finishing her breakfast, replied that she had not even seen the theme. She rose at once to accompany Grace upstairs. The two girls searched in every nook and corner of the room. "'I wanted to hand it in this morning,' lamented Grace. "'Now I'll have to write it all over again. I don't believe I can remember much of it, either. I'll have to explain to Miss Duncan, too, and ask her to give me until tomorrow to write it.' "'Perhaps it will be found yet,' comforted Anne. "'No danger of it, unless I lost it in the street.' "'Then there's only one chance in a thousand of its turning up,' declared Grace gloomily. I don't see how I happen to be so careless. When must it be handed in? questioned Anne. This morning, answered Grace dolefully. I'll have to rewrite it tonight and from memory too. Why don't you choose another subject? was Anne's advice. No, Grace shook her head positively. I can do better with the old one. I'm not going to bother about asking if anyone has found it. My name was on it. If I made a fuss over it, someone might say it was only an excuse. I hadn't really lost it, but just wished to gain time. I hope Miss Duncan won't think that. No one in this house would say so, contradicted Anne loyally. But suppose Alberta Wicks or Mary Hampton heard of it. They might circulate that rumour. I hate to seem so suspicious, but an ounce of prevention, you know. I'll write it over and say nothing further about it. Having made up her mind on the subject, Grace promptly dismissed it from her thoughts. Miss Duncan did look rather suspiciously at Grace as she related her misfortune. Grace's grey eyes met hers so fairly and truthfully, however, that she was forced to believe the young woman's statement. She gave the desired respite rather ungraciously, and Grace took her place in class, relieved to think she had got off so easily. That night she rewrote the theme. It did not give her as much trouble as she had anticipated. She laid down her fountain pen with alacrity when it was finished and carefully blotted the last sheet. Now I can begin to think about the reception, she announced. What are you going to wear, Anne? My new pink gown, said Anne promptly. As long as I was extravagant enough to indulge in a new evening dress, I might as well wear it. The sophomore reception is really the most important affair of the year, to us at least. I'm delighted to have an opportunity to show off my pale blue chiffon frock, laughed Grace. I've been in ecstasies over it ever since it was made. Have you seen that white gown of Elfreda's? It's perfectly stunning. I stopped in her room for a minute last night. She was trying it on. It's the prettiest gown she's had since she came here. 
Ask her to show it to you. I'm going over there now, said Anne. I'll be back in a minute. It was precisely four minutes later when Anne poked her head in Grace's door. Come on into Miriam's room, Grace, she called. She has just made chocolate. She has some lovely little cakes and sandwiches, too. Now Frida has something to tell us. Grace rose from her chair, lay down a notebook she had been running through, and hastily followed Anne. "'Have a cushion,' laughed Miriam hospitably, throwing a fat sofa pillow at Grace, who caught it dexterously, patted it into shape, and, placing it on the floor, sat down on it Turk-fashion. Elfrida poured another cup of chocolate, then seated herself on the floor beside Grace. "'Pass Grace the sandwiches, Anne,' she ordered. "'We made these ourselves. We brought the stuff at that new delicatessen place on High Street.' "'They're delicious,' commented Grace between bites. I'm hungry tonight. I didn't like the dinner very well. Neither did we, responded Miriam. After dinner we went out for a walk to see what we could find, and we brought back what you see before you. I shall pay a visit to the delicatessen shop, announced Grace. Tomorrow night you must come to my room for a spread. I'll come to your room with pleasure, retorted Elfrida, but not to eat. One spread a week is my limit. Now for my news. The anarchist has accepted my invitation to the reception. Really? exclaimed Grace. Do tell us about it, Elfrida. I delivered my invitation after dinner tonight, began Elfrida. I waited and waited, thinking someone else might invite her. I'm not yearning for the honour, you know. I went to her door and knocked. Her roommate, Miss Taylor, opened it. The anarchist sat over in one corner of the room, studying like mad. By the way, I understand she is a dig and stands high in her classes. "'Is she?' asked Anne, opening her eyes. "'Then that is one thing she has in her favour. "'Perhaps we shall discover other good qualities in her that we've overlooked.' "'Perhaps,' echoed Miriam dryly. "'Mustn't interrupt me,' drawled Elfrida. "'I may become peevish and refuse to talk.' "'All right,' smiled Grace. "'We accept the warning. Continue, my dear Miss Briggs.' Elfrida grinned cheerfully. "'I inquired with deferential politeness if Miss Atkins were busy.' Then the anarchist looked up from her book, glared like a lion, straightened her eyebrows, and said in that awful voice she owns, "'Do you wish to speak to me?' Elfrida unconsciously imitated the belligerent freshman. Her audience giggled appreciatively. "'I replied in my most impressive English that I did wish to do that very thing,' continued Elfrida. Then I inquired tactfully if I was too late with my invitation to the sophomore dance." Without giving her time to answer, I put in my application for the position of escort. Then, Elfrida paused, a slight flush rose to her round face. Then she looked me in the eye and told me a deliberate untruth. She said she had refused one invitation because she had not been interested in the reception, but that she had changed her mind. She thanked me and said she would be pleased to go. I bowed myself out without further ado, but Miss Taylor gave me the queerest look as I went. Her face was as red as fire. It was she who told me that the anarchist had not been invited. She was afraid I might think she hadn't told the truth, but I knew better. Now don't ever tell anyone what I have said. I'm sorry she didn't tell you the truth, said Grace disapprovingly. Why couldn't she say that she had not been invited? False pride, commented Miriam. She evidently isn't so indifferent to the opinion of others as she would have us believe. She's a strange girl, mused Anne. Perhaps she is not altogether to blame for her odd ways. Odd is a good name for them, jeered Elfrida. I wouldn't call it odd. I'd use a stronger word than that. It's contemptible. 
I'm sorry I asked her to go to the reception. Then recall your invitation and tell her your reason for doing so, advised Miriam Nesbit bluntly. Don't take her to the reception in that spirit. You will make yourself and her equally unhappy. Here the sage lay down the law, retorted Elfreda impudently. She's right, though, only I won't withdraw my invitation at this late date. I'll try to give the anarchist the most exciting time of her young life, but if she balks, please don't blame me. You can lead an anarchist to a reception, you know, but you can't make her dance until she happens to feel like dancing. Still, I'm going to do my best, and no sophomore can do more. That sounds like the Elfreda Briggs I heard talking last night, said Grace, smiling her approval of the stout girl's words. So it does, agreed Elfreda. Hereafter, I'll try to be more consistent. As for the anarchist, she shall reap the benefits of my vow. I hope she knows how to dance. If she doesn't, I shall have to constitute myself a committee of one to furnish amusement for her. If on the fatal night you see me, my arm firmly linked in that of Her Majesty, parading solemnly about the gymnasium with a fixed smile and an air of gaiety that I am a long way from feeling, don't you dare laugh at me. We won't laugh at you, then, even though we can't help laughing at you now, said Grace. We shall be only too glad to do anything we can to help you entertain her. I know that. Maybe you can help, and maybe you can't, but if she doesn't enjoy herself, it won't be my fault. End of chapter 8 Recording by Ashley Jane